Hey, everybody, this is one of those episodes that it's going to be a real gift to a lot of you. It's going to be challenging for a lot of you. It's going to be triggering for a lot of you. It's going to be like a warm embrace and a really, really uncomfortable reality check for a lot of you. It's a sensitive topic. I want to be really careful before we get into this episode so that I make sure I say out loud that we, the guest and I, this expert I brought on, is not saying that the women out there who are drinking a lot of wine on a regular basis are alcoholics. That word isn't even used. It's not even in her vocabulary. So please consider, even if you just love drinking wine or you like drinking, because I like drinking sometimes, consider listening to this because it's a lot deeper than just alcohol. It's about us as women shutting ourselves down, numbing ourselves, pausing sometimes and saying, what am I even doing? Who am I? What is my role in this world? I've lost myself. Do I even have value? Does my family only see me as the person who does X, Y, and Z? Am I only worth what I do and how I perform and what I give? And there's the piece about alcohol. It's like this dirty secret that a lot of people are not talking about in the United States. And it can affect any person. Today, we're talking about a certain demographic. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't affect others, but the demographic of women who are experiencing the wine o'clock. They are detoxing to retox. They're in that sort of gray area. They don't really have a drinking problem. They're pretty sure they don't have a drinking problem. They're certain they're not an alcoholic. They don't even think they're dependent, but there's the big but. So our guest today and in part two, we did two episodes back to back, is Jen Couch of Austin, Texas. Jen is so amazing. I'm so grateful that someone connected me with her and her community. I had no idea her community existed and it's called Sober Sis. All of the links to her community and everything she offers, which by the way, she has a great reset that starts on the 1st of May can be found in the episode notes for today's episode and Thursday's episode. Sober Sis is a like-minded community of women who are renegotiating their relationship with alcohol without labels, without shame, without judgment, and without rules. Jen supports women through practical tools and connection while they break the wine o'clock habit. Mindset is everything and being sober-minded means being present, awake, and alert in your own life. Jen works with the gray area drinkers and those who find themselves in that detox just to retox loop, which is healthy minded, you know, healthful living by day, and then becoming and slipping into a bit of a mindless supper in the evenings. I'm so grateful for Jen, for the work she's doing, for this message. I'm inviting you to to really open up and embrace her and this message and know that no one is labeling you, no one's assuming anything, and no one's judging and you are not alone. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman, and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. 
But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Well, Jen, you know that I'm so grateful to have you as a guest for VU Podcast. I already introduced you, but one thing I want to share with everyone is how we connected. So before we hear about you, I'll share with everyone that I have a friend of a friend who I don't know well, but I've always admired her from afar. And so I've been around her dozens of times. And recently I ran into her in a restaurant and I would say she was glowing. Like there was something different about her. And I know some people will think this is just kind of woo-woo weird, but that's okay. That's me. She even, her energy was different. Like there was like an aura about her. There was a glow. Her eyes were really crystal clear. She was more intentional when she was speaking to me. Her hair looked different, everything. And I said, Sarah, you look amazing. Like I couldn't even find the words. That is how profound it was. And she immediately grabbed my hand and she said, Joe thank you. I know. (laughs) She said, I'm going to tell you why. She said, I stopped drinking alcohol. And I said, oh, well, I didn't know you needed to stop drinking alcohol. And she said, I didn't either, but it changed my life. I'll tell you about it later, but I found this amazing person. She has a whole community called Sober Sis. Her name is Jen Couch. And so that's how I found Jen. So Jen, um, after a few conversations, here we are live and I cannot wait to get into this. So please say hello to everybody. Oh my goodness. Well, hello, everybody. That is such a cool story to enter in after. And thank you, Sarah, out there for being the billboard of the sober-minded glow (laughs) that can come from this healthy wellness journey that we're on. And that's exciting. Yeah. As I said, I mean, I... I'm just going to say it a second time for effect. It wasn't like someone who's, you know, dropped a little bit of weight or... It was, and I know you, I can see you on Zoom here. You're you're nodding that you know what I'm talking about. I've never seen this before, but we'll get into it. But apparently this is what happens to women when they're drinking a lot of alcohol and then they go to not drinking alcohol. Their body says thank you and, and responds beautifully. So how did this happen? Like, like where did you come from? <laughs> you know, tell us yeah. where you came from. I know you're in Texas, but how did this all evolve? We'll go through that. And then we're going to talk about this whole observation that you realized that you didn't just fail with yourself, but you have seen it in millions of other women. Yep. That's exactly right. Well, again, my name is Jen. I'm a new empty nester slash retired gray area drinker living here in Texas. And Jill and I were talking a little bit before we recorded, and I, I was telling her a little bit about my beginning story. I was I was the young person that really wasn't into drinking. And I know that there are some of you out there listening who will be able to resonate with that. I was not your partier in high school. I really wasn't the drinker in college, going to a state school, being in a sorority, really wasn't my thing. I really noticed in my own life, it was in my young 30s as a new working mom that I found myself at numerous networking events and happy hours in hotel lobbies 
in hotel bars. And I was the kind of stay-at-home mom with the kids by day and then had this other kind of adult nightlife, if you will, working, you know, trying to, to do this job. And I found myself really in a different place than I was in my young 20s, a little bit more stressed out, a little bit more anxious, a lot more responsibility, a lot more on my plate. And that's when I started just kind of really getting into the social drinking scene on a Tuesday night after a meeting. I was like, yes, let's do that. That sounds actually really nice. And at first, it was foreign to me. It was not the way I had been doing life. I'd been through a lot of challenges and and difficult things in my young 20s. And alcohol was never a coping mechanism. It wasn't a go-to. It wasn't something that, that was kind of like on my radar to reach for when I was bored, lonely, anxious, excited, celebrating. It was just not my thing. And so for me in my 30s, I really kind of caught up, if you will. I was always joking, say I was late to the party, but don't worry, I caught right up. So in my 30s, I really felt like I began to try to kind of drink with my peers, with people who had been drinking for a decade or more. And my husband also had been married about 10 years at that time, and drinking was not our thing together by any means. And it started kind of to become our couple thing. Like he could have his IPA, I could have my wine, and we could go on a date night or a patio. Or maybe just a storm was rolling in. And well, let's open something for that too and sit on the front porch. Before I know it, I'm just cooking spaghetti and drinking my red wine with that too, because, you know, when in Rome, <laughs> like that's what the Italians are doing right now. Are they really? We don't know. So it just started to creep in very slowly, very subtly. And it became kind of what I used to look at as a treat, as a reward kind of a me time, my time, kind of like carrot to dangle at the end of a long day to kind of release and get that ah feeling. And then it really slowly over time turned into a habit where I was starting to drink in the evenings, many evenings, whether it be book club, networking, a date night, myself in the patio, it became a habit. And I began kind of like being the mindful girl by day, totally doing the detox to retox loop, where by day I was going to my hot yoga after my great time praying and meditating that morning. And then I would juice my kale and I was just doing all these detoxifying things. And then ding, ding, five o'clock. Okay. Retox time to switch gears. Where's my Pinot Grigio? And and it felt like self-care, right? Sorry to interrupt. It felt like self it felt like more kale. It's like it's just a different form of kale. Come on. That's right. Let's balance it out. I can't drink kale all the time. It's self-love. <laughs> exactly. And so I I did. I was in this loop, this cycle where I would wake up with good intentions. Nah, I'm not going to drink anything tonight, no matter what. And again, so many opportunities to drink in such a socially acceptable way, not in a um, alcoholic behavior kind of way that we tend to see drinking when we think of the stereotypes. Yeah. It's not like you're going into a networking meeting and sneaking your little flask. They're offering you alcohol. They're saying, here you go. And yeah. Come on. I've got tickets. (laughs) 
<laughs> that makes it more fun. If I walk in and I get two tickets, well, you better believe I'm going to use two tickets. Who wastes a ticket? Yeah. To free alcohol that's socially acceptable and that feels really good in the moment. Uh, yeah. So I have a question. As yeah. this is going along and it's become a habit, and we all know why it became a habit, did you also find yourself wanting and needing more glasses? Or was it always just like, look, I'm having two or three and it just went on for years? Like, did you start wanting and needing more? That is a great question. And I think I started out as such a lightweight that that one glass was like, woo, I can feel it. Wow. And that definitely didn't last. I mean, I definitely went from one glass to, okay, three is the sweet spot. Now I'm feeling it. Now that's really great. And if anyone's ever heard me speak before, they know that I speak about the bottle breakdown and how easy it is and how frightening it is to say out loud that I really worked up enough tolerance to be able to polish off a bottle of wine on my own. And that's kind of where I would kind of hover and plateau, <laughs> which sounds crazy. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And everyone listening, not only is not judging, but I, most people are right there. They're like, yep, I do that. Absolutely. It's so easy to do. I mean, I can break it down real fast. Mm-hmm. So glasses are different sizes. You know, I'm not a, a, a wine drinker. How many glasses on average is in one bottle of wine? That's a great question as well. Because I'm here in Texas, I'm going to say four. Oh, does that mean big? <laughs> we like a good big pour. For some of you other gals who might be listening who have uh, more appropriate size glasses, you might could get five. <laughs> but four glasses for me was just a, a no-brainer because I would start about 5 p.m., you know, wine o'clock, five o'clock. It seemed appropriate. But I felt like a lot of my friends were doing it too. So I had that, you know, social norm in my head. And I would start it usually when I was cooking. And again, granted, if there was networking or book club or any of that, I mean, that was just, that was what would start it then. And I wouldn't always drink. Well, I would. Okay, let's be honest. If I was going to open a bottle, I was probably going to finish it. If I was out somewhere, I would drink less. If I were at home, I would drink more. And so at home, I would start the bottle breakdown with the one while I was cooking. And then, you know, wow, that only took 20, 30 minutes. I mean, you know, I'm cooking, I'm drinking, it's fun. I got my music on, I got my 80s Pandora going. So that first glass is just really just setting the tone. And so second glass would happen either while I was waiting on people who were running late. Now I'm kind of, it's only 5.30. I mean, keep in mind, I got a long evening ahead. And those of you that have teenagers know, you know, if it's a weekend, you've got hours left on the clock. Yeah. And so 5.30, uh-oh, rut row. I've already kind of gone through that first class because that one feels the best. That's the feeling I'm chasing all night long is that first class feeling. I want to keep it. I want to find it again (laughs) two hours later. Unfortunately, that doesn't really happen. But the bottle breakdown, I would have that second class either while I was waiting on people or maybe even while I was eating dinner. I mean, that's what all the women and moms are doing on TV. They always have a glass of wine at the sit-down dinner that they've slaved so hard to create. It's very, again, refined, kind of glamorous, and something that was semi-still new to me. So I felt like, yes, I'm a grown-up. I'm a big girl. This is my right, almost. There was an entitlement there, too. Like, don't tell me what to do. I can do this if I want to. And I love when you just said 
because I was thinking as you were talking, Jen, that it's a grown-up thing. It's like a symbol that right. I'm an adult now. And you said it too. And that's 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 how I see it too. Just like drinking coffee in the morning. This is what the adults do. You're no longer at the kid table. And so you have your glass of wine at dinner and you feel very mature. Yes, that's right. That's right. And that's reinforced constantly, even subconsciously with all the marketing and messaging, which I know we'd love to talk about. It's just reinforced. So again, I'm just playing the part almost, playing the role and I'm kind of hiding behind that a little bit because inside that is not what I saw modeled in my own home. So I'm also feeling already a mental conflict. I'm feeling a mental tug of war because I really didn't grow up with a mom that always drank at dinner. I didn't grow up with a mom that drank in the kitchen. And that's just my story. Again, a lot of people did grow up in families where drinking is just part of the home life and the kind of family culture. I really didn't. So I'm kind of like, wow, this is, you know, I'm really current with the times. And so I would have that third glass, Jill, when it was time to clean the kitchen. Because by that point, and you know, because your mom, at that point, everyone's scattered. Like, wait, where did they go? Like yeah. now all the skillets and all the pans and all the all the hoopla that it took to make the dinner is still there. And so I'm like, no worries. You know, go get your homework started. It's okay, babe. You've had a long day. Go put your feet up, you know, <laughs> or help me. Hey, maybe he'll have a glass with me too. Uh-oh, then we may have to open more. So I would have that third glass, usually while I was cleaning. Again, just starting to kind of play small in my own life. That's where I felt like I took a turn and I started to minimize myself in my own life, in my own family, in my own world. Like, eh, doesn't really matter. Who cares? I'm just me. I'm just cleaning the dishes. Do I even, how much do I really matter here anyway with my presence? Wow. I, I think, I mean, every woman just heard that and went, <gasps> I mean, yeah. yeah. I felt it too saying it yeah. because, it, and I didn't realize at the time, of course, that that's what I was doing. But I think with all the work that I've done, popping the own hood, popping the hood in my own life, I mean, I've really come to realize that that was kind of the messaging and the tapes playing in my head is, Go for the third one. You're kind of invisible now. You've you've played your part. You've gotten food on the table. You took people to and from. There's probably going to be a little bit of conflict with the kids. The homework's boring. This is kind of hard. It's kind of lonely. It's kind of laborious. Just have it. Who cares? And so that to me is something to really hone in on if you're out there feeling that because that's where the drinking for me became almost this pseudo companion. Like, I'm with you. I'm with you. Don't worry, girl. You're not by yourself. I'm with you. Or what about the woman listening who says, can't really relate to that, but how about this scenario? Have you heard of this? I'm I'm making this up, but I think it's probably something that is accurate for people. Maybe I don't feel that. But I'm the one who has my companion, the glass of wine, who's distracting me from the big dreams and distracting me from the problems and the what if I decided to follow the nudge and do something amazing and the, you know, just just the fear stories that come up. And maybe I don't feel like I don't matter, but I'm afraid to go out. As you said, you're living small, afraid to go out and live your life, but also the distraction from anything, right? The glass of wine just saying, look, I'm here for you. And if you drink me, almost like in the Alice in Wonderland movie. Right. It's almost like a relationship. Yeah. If you drink me, I promise you, 
that you won't think about all those things you're worried about. That's right. That's right. And even if it's just like you said, Jill, just thinking bigger, thinking, well, what if I can? Well, I don't know. That's there. There's some risk involved. It takes some mental energy and calories to, to burn to dream and to think about personal growth. And by that point, quite honestly, the wine, which has already kind of got me a little bit in her clutches, because I started with that first class with intentions of just having a glass like everyone does. Did you really feel that way? Like deep down, you knew you were having one or is it with me sometimes with cookies where I'm like, I tell myself I'm having one, but deep down, I know that I'll probably have five. Yeah, no, it it was definitely the second scenario. Deep down, I knew I would have more. Yeah. It was the things that I told myself initially, I'll just have one or, or only have these two. And then after dinner, I won't have any more, but oh, I just would look at the bottle and it just, ah, it's kind of like oh, is that really enough to save? I mean, really? Is it going to taste as good tomorrow? I don't know. I'm not sure. So that's when I would kind of, so picture me at the kitchen sink scrubbing and and don't picture me so sad and like dejected and down, but picture me just with this subconscious messaging in my own heart that says, go for it. It won't matter. It doesn't affect anyone negatively. You're not driving. You're not slurring. You're not crazy. You're just, being a mom, doing your thing, minding your own business and staying in your lane. And you just stay in that lane, girl. And I, I just, you've got this little pseudo companion. And actually at that moment in time, I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling really great. Mm-hmm. Partially. There's the other part of me that's like, oh, dang it, I did it again. That defeat, that feeling of like, oh man, I broke a promise to myself again. I kind of had a promise made or a good intention and uh, didn't follow through again. Might as well. And that's where that fourth glass, that little quarter of the dollar, you know, that little quarter left just comes in. And that's where I, I would definitely polish it off, usually in the bathtub, pour that last glass, take it away, get it out of the main the mainstream situation of my own kitchen, recycle that bottle. Let's get that gone. That's a little bit, uh, I'd rather almost the evidence be gone for myself mainly. Interesting. While you're saving the planet. That's right. Let's recycle and get that gone and finish it off in the bathtub because I've got a Bitmoji on my phone that shows me doing that, you know, the, all the little oh. emojis that show the the woman with the wine. I'm like, okay, so that's me, you know, got the suds and the wine and I'll just, I'll wrap it up. I'm going to land the plane. Now I'm definitely done for the most part, most of the time for sure. And that was just kind of my, my habit, a horrible habit. You know, I'm drinking at that point, you know, five, 600 calories. And I'm also going to wake up again, high functioning, high mover, high shaker. Yoga, kale, meetings, networking, kids. That's right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it all over again. I'm going to go to a hot yoga class. I'm going to sweat it out. I'm going to get my organic groceries and... Be super mom. And I'm going to be super mom. And then I'll probably do it again. And if not the very next night in the very next few days or weeks or even months, because I wasn't to the point of being physically addicted, I could go without it. I could do a whole 30. I could do a 10-day raw food juice cleanse, but I would always return to the cycle. It didn't matter how much time was in between the drinking sessions, if you will, or night outs or girls' nights. 
it didn't matter how much time was in between. It was still a bigger cycle in my life. Okay. And how about this? When you were doing the periods of detoxing, Whole30, going without, et cetera, because you know you could, was it kind of like I can be with sugar where it's like, I know I can, but I don't want to. I don't really want to. I freaking want my cookies. I want my sugar. I mean, it's just as addictive. Well, yes. All right. So this went on. And, and would you, I mean, now every week was different, but on an average week, when you say it could have, you could have gone weeks or months, you may not have drank four more glasses the very next night, but were there nights where you would just have like one glass? There were, there were. And it's usually when I was with other people out with my husband, I tended to drink less. It's almost when I I did find myself, and I do find this with most women that I work with, not all, but I really didn't have a lot of social anxiety as much as kind of that restless, kind of bored or anxious feeling at home, like just fill the space, fill the time of just kind of piddling around the same circumference over and over again. I was like, well, wine makes that a little bit more fun. When I was out, I was a little bit more actually kind of self-controlled and disciplined and, and really found myself engaging with people more. Whereas I do work with a lot of women who also feel like it is the social anxiety. And with things opening up now, kind of after things are lifting, people are very anxious about getting together in groups of people for a variety of reasons. They were pre-COVID as well, but that's a big thing that people lean on. I think because I had so much practice being social without alcohol for so long, it wasn't like burned into my neuro pathways that that was something I needed to feel confident in a room. But I know that many people, if they, especially if they started drinking young, they haven't had a lot of social experiment to enter into a social setting without a drink in their hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's dig into that. I want to talk about how it's not just normalized; it's so celebrated to the point where I don't feel like I fit in at forty nine. I don't fit in with any group I know when it comes to that. Like it's like it's almost like my my card, if if there were a card for being a, a woman at my age, what has been revoked. Or I never got the card. Because when I tell people that I don't drink very much or they they see that I drink about a half of a drink and it's really a joke in social settings. They're like, oh let's, let's see if Jill's gonna finish your drink. I'm known in my family, my brothers, their wives, the kids, everyone knows I won't even know where my glass is. I just hold it to be social and I don't finish it. But And that's okay. I know that. But there's a big but. It does feel like pressure. It doesn't feel socially acceptable. So I I imagine how difficult it is for women to even even consider drinking less or not drinking because if you aren't secure with yourself, and trust me, I have a million insecurities, but if you aren't secure with yourself, talk about being you. On our podcast, we talk about be you. Being yourself without having any kind of alcohol in your system and, right, and being willing to say, no, I don't drink and I don't need to explain why, that is not easy. And I just can't emphasize enough how weird it is in the United States of America. We have listeners all over the world, but in the United States, it's very bizarre for middle-class women, and I would say especially white women in let's say in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, to not drink wine on a regular basis, not talk about it, not take pictures and selfies with it, not joke about it, not use it as a badge. 
and not celebrate it. Do you agree? I totally agree. And it really wasn't that way 20 years ago. I mean, yes, alcohol has always been prevalent among people. I mean, and it always will be to an extent, that's for sure. But yeah, it's a real cultural, societal shift that has really happened. And about 15 years ago, the marketing industry for the alcohol, big business of alcohol, which is about $46 billion a year. It's a huge industry. That's why they can afford all the Super Bowl commercials. <laughs> it's a huge industry. So they've got a lot of money to back these advertisements and memes. And they don't have to work too hard because, again, it is an addictive substance. So they've got a, a consumer population that is also continually buying their product because they're also in some way, shape, or form along the drinking spectrum slightly or heavily addicted. So it is a real, the struggle is real. And, and one thing I'm really passionate about, and it's kind of become my life's work in the second half of my life, this kind of new season I'm in, is to make the conversation normal, just like drinking is normal. We're going to drink it. Why can't we talk about it? You know, if we're going to see it in grocery stores and at every cash wrap, and it's so normal to drink it, see it, and buy it, can we make it more normal to talk about it, understand it? And just be aware of what our choices are bringing us. I'm just more about make a more empowered, educated choice than anything. I really didn't know what I was, quote, up against when I was facing the wine witch. I just thought it was a willpower issue. Why couldn't I be more disciplined? I could do a 90-minute hot yoga class. My goodness, why can't I not drink wine at five? (laughs) What's wrong with me? I felt really broken, like flawed, like get it together, Jen. Hello, flex those muscles, girl. Just tell yourself no. Deprivation mindset, isn't that how we get results in other ways? And it doesn't really work, especially with an addictive substance like alcohol, sugar, caffeine. There's so many things, but especially alcohol. It's like like the sledgehammer of all addictive substances because it really affects every single cell and organ in our body. I would imagine because, I mean, I'm an old nurse and I know a little bit about the body and I know that, you know, a lot of people are thinking that they're resting better when they sleep alcohol when actually it's the worst thing you can do is drink before sleeping. But they're doing this night after night after night after night. And you and I both know when you sleep, that's when you repair, that's when you regenerate, that's when you detox. How can you detox with alcohol Mm -hmm. in your system every night? Um, I think some of it too is I, I, I agree with you. We're not talking about it. So just like the education about wellness and nutrition and the reason you want to drink a kale smoothie or go to yoga, we do need people like you just at least informing people. They can do what they want, but informing them, do you realize, sis, what this is really doing to you? Right. Then make an informed decision. Like like I always joke that like, you know, I'm aware when I go to eat something awful, like a chili cheese dog. I'm all in eating that thing, but I know how bad it is. I, I, I'm perfectly aware. Exactly. You've weighed, you've weighed it out. Is it worth it to you? Is it something you want to do every day? Probably not, but yeah, you go in knowing. And I think with alcohol, we've become so trained on this autopilot of mindless sipping that we're not engaging our brain with like, do I even want to do this? Is this even good for me? Well, I know it's not, but how much am I drinking? Why am I, why am I drinking? And just again, the conversation without labels, 
without shame. See, that was yes. me. I was that kind of in the gray area zone where to feel like I had to almost get worse to get better because I could get a label then, yes. or I could qualify, if you will, for more like an AA meeting or a 12 step. I wasn't quote there yet. And you may not ever get there. Yeah. I didn't feel like that was going to fit for me. So I was in no man's land. I was like, well, I'm not a drinker that could take it or leave it. Like my friend, Jill, is <laughs> like, where's my glass or not finishing the whole thing. Cannot relate with that personally. Once I started drinking at one point, I would have been right there with you. But once I really fell deeper into the pitcher plant, I definitely was somewhere in the middle. And, and that's where I think the majority, the bulk of people are, is yes. right smack dab in the middle. And that's where the conversations need to be had so that you don't have to get a DUI before you make a change. Oh my gosh, you don't have to lose something. I didn't. I lost some of my self-respect and self-regard you know, regard and esteem, but give me more time or just put me in the wrong place at the wrong time under the influence. So I don't know what would have happened. I don't want to wait and find out. I appreciate you being so transparent and saying that because that's a that's something that most people would not be willing to say if they've never had a DUI and they don't think they ever really would get one. They would never say it's because I know this is what you do. I mean, you're a coach for women now. But thank you for saying that, that it is true that if you kept going on that road, you absolutely could have gotten a DUI. But no one talks about that. I've only had a couple glasses. Absolutely. And it would have been horrendous and embarrassing. And I would have been just in so much shame. I don't know how I would have recovered from that. But the whole point is, oh, that's such a bummer that we wait until these huge rock bottoms or wake up calls or huge red flags. When really for me, I was like driving my car on this drinking highway, if you will. I use this analogy a lot. And I saw just warning lights. I saw kind of like check oil, check engine lights kind of coming on. Like you and I were talking about one of the red flags or kind of warning signals to me that I was out of balance and had an unhealthy relationship with drinking was the fact that I had a lot of rules and a lot of promises to myself around my relationship with alcohol. Okay, I'm only going to drink on the weekends. Okay, I'm only going to drink, you know, white, not red, because the red definitely gives me a bigger headache. I'm only going to drink when I'm happy, not sad or bored. I'm only going to buy enough for today, not enough for today and tomorrow. And I'm certainly not going to have a wine cellar, (laughs) you know? So I had all these parameters and rules and like you would almost with a a diet, but mine was with drinking. And I was a yo-yo drinker instead of a yo-yo dieter. Work hard, play hard. You know, I'd, I'd pay my dues during the day and then kind of thinking I was breaking even in the evening and just reaping the benefits of all my hard work, which is so opposite of what was happening. There are women listening right now that are like, I don't know, I do that, but I think I'm fine. And and so we're going to do another episode, which you know, I'm so excited. We're going to do a part two to this. So those of you listening, keep tuning in to the next episode because we're going to dig in in the next episode to how does Jen actually coach people out of this? How do you know what you should or shouldn't do around this? What does that look like? What does her whole community called Sober Sis look like? Because it's an amazing community. And are you allowed to be a part of it if you don't even know you have a problem? Are you? We'll do all that. But let's talk about a younger friend of mine who's probably 33 or so. She's a coach with a huge successful business. And she told me that in her social circle and in her social circle, everyone is highly successful. 
They don't have any financial stress whatsoever, none of them. Every one of her friends in her group of, let's say, 10 or so, for what they know, they're healthy. Like, there's no real stressor in their life. And all of them, except for her, she's like, Jill, they don't just drink wine. Let me be clear. They're cracking the wine open at like three in the afternoon. In the afternoon, kids go down for a nap. They all gather on each other's porches or kids are playing together. Let's all drink together. And she said, she's a coach, of course. So she's saying to herself, do you realize that you are numbing yourself, not just from what you think is a boring afternoon or typical whatever, or that you're just bonding, but do you realize that you are literally taking yourself off of your true north? You're taking yourself off track. So let's maybe talk a little bit about what you see. You you have thousands of women who've been mentored by you. What do these women listening maybe not know about what could be happening behind the scenes? Not just, let me just digress for a minute. And a lot of women also I find that are friends of mine, they decided to check into their drinking because they're gaining too much weight. They feel like their belly's getting a little thick. That's the only reason. Or they feel like they're tired a lot. Or I had this one friend, Jen, who I can't even tell you how many Mondays she would text me and say, oh, I've got to stop drinking so much wine. And I kept saying from the outside, why do you keep doing it? Because you feel like shit every Monday. And I'm like, well, how much do you think you're drinking? She's like, oh, my friend and I will put away a couple of bottles. I'm like, but she's still doing it. What are some things that are happening beneath the surface that these women listening aren't aware of? It's not the overt bad stuff that you notice that compound effect over time if they don't look into this, that it could be detrimental to them. What are some of the things? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Wow. It's just, it's so familiar to me what you're saying. Well, first off, alcohol, like, like some other substances, but specifically with alcohol, it literally creates a thirst for itself. It is a real chemical, psychological, physiological thing going on in your body. This reward center in our brain that gives us that dopamine hit, that reward is powerful. It is very, again, no one's really talking. Well, some are, and I'm, I'm excited to be part of the movement where people are talking about it, but people are sitting around poolside drinking from their Yeti, talking about how they're getting a dopamine hit. <laughs> they're just enjoying it and thinking this is totally fun and normal. But the backlash is the undertow. It's the flip side of the coin that no one's really talking about. And that's the, everything that goes up must come down. And so there is a price to be paid for that. And that's where I feel like the conversation, usually with women that drink together, where the conversation kind of stops. And it's like, woo, this is so fun. What do you bring in? Yeah, girl. You know, you just feel the energy of almost like gathering around the drinking, like the special guest of honors here. Let's open it. And no one's really talking about the 3 a.m. wake up call which is when all the stimulants and all the chemicals rush through your body and you wake up with kind of a pitter-patter heartbeat and this kind of anxiety and this feeling of dread, like physiological feeling like, oh no, oh no, this is not great. And I've got to get up in three hours from now, your rim's totally gone and... I see your face. You're like, yes. And it can happen with other things as well, but alcohol is a major culprit. Well, that's one reason I don't like drinking. It's so funny. I've never heard anyone else say that. I thought it was just me because I told you I don't detox easily. So I don't drink very often. But one thing I will do is let's say every now and then my husband and I will go out. Like tonight we're going out with another couple. I will definitely have one or two drinks. 
even after two drinks, every time I wake up, and I told my husband this, I don't like to drink because I wake up in the middle of the night. I feel anxious, jittery. Yes. And my gut hurts. My gut just hurts really bad. It lasts for about 30 to 40 minutes, and then I go back to sleep. Yep. So that's, you're saying that's because of what? That's because of uh, chemicals in your body. You might remember this from your nursing background, which I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical person, but that dynorphin kicks in. So that counteracts is almost like all of alcohol is a depressant, and but it feels like a stimulant in the moment because it's such a sugar rush. And so after you've been really, after you've come down, your body is again, homeostasis, we've got to get back to balance. Our sweet bodies are constantly in every department working to get us back to balance. So it sends in these stimulants and increases our cortisol, which is part of what's waking you up earlier than you want to wake up with that real wide awake anxiety feeling. It's the cortisol and the hormones that are being shifted by having this artificial substance come in your body, your body is going on overdrive, trying to immediately get rid of this toxin. And it's taking into the night to do that. Mm. So some of the, before we get into, because I want to close this episode with, okay, how did you start sober cis? Because I'm dying to know that. But before that, one more thing, like they say in the ads, one more thing. That's not all yet. I have one more question before the next episode. When we're looking at the effect, the negative effect over time, that compound effect with women, we're talking, does this also get into sex drive, depression, anxiety? Are these things you're seeing in people over time? Oh, for sure. It really does affect every single aspect of your life. And we just don't think it does. We love to compartmentalize things especially if it's something that we know deep down is not good for us or could be kind of negative or we just want to compartmentalize that. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. And yeah, when you when you saw your friend Sarah and you were like, wow, you look so great, amazingly all together, this holistic view, imagine what had to go on inside of her body to let that show from the inside out. Yeah, because I would have never said, knowing her before I ran into her, this. But I will say, as I look at her now, the old version of Sarah, now that I see the new version, looked dull. Yeah, literally. And yeah, dull is the word I would use. Sarah, I know you're okay with me saying that. Beautiful. Just just (laughs) dull. But I didn't think that at the time. But now I saw her and I was like, oh my gosh, you're literally glowing like an angel. (laughs) I I just wish, she probably has a before and after. It's drastic. So you're right. What's been happening behind the scenes? For it to show up on the outer layer, so much has been going on on the inner layer. Yes. And what about the emotions and the, you know, so what I do, and you know this, I'm I'm learning, I'm in a course right now, a six-month course. And right now we're in our second module on trauma. We have a third one. I mean, some people study trauma for 30 years. I mean, it's always evolving and changing uh, what we know about it. But I'm learning so much about the little and big traumas And the fact that we're storing these memories in our body, having no idea, and you've got these, you know, high-functioning, amazing women. Again, there are women who are struggling and have a stressful life and they drink, but there are people who think everything's great and they're just doing it for the reasons you and I have already mentioned. And what they don't know is that they're numbing themselves so they're not triggered 
And the triggers, in my opinion, are just a total gift from God to say, yes. hello, the reason you're freaking out and you're turning into the Hulk or the reason you're recoiling or freezing or flighting is, or sorry, fleeing is because there's something deep in you that was never healed. And if we're drinking wine every evening, we're never going to heal those things. And if this is my opinion, if we don't ever heal those things, our children will never heal theirs. And we will just keep the cycle going. Even if they never drink, they won't know to look deep within and heal those. But so, okay. So after this, you know, you're getting to this place where you realized, okay, I am just drinking too much. This is just not a good place to be. How did you get to where you are now where you're inspiring all these women and helping them live a life of sobriety? Wow. That is a good question because I was almost 46. I'm turning 50 this summer just to give a, a time frame. I was turning almost 46. My daughter had just basically graduated high school. My 40 to 45 was her 13 to 18. And so those five years for her, I know, had a lot of growth and challenge. Well, they did for me too as a mom and just as a person. So I felt like, well, here's my daughter. She she kind of gets to move on out of this season of her life and this phase that we've kind of both lived through and survived. Maybe I can also take an opportunity to kind of look at my own life. I'm getting closer to 50. At the time, I was right smack dab, literally in the middle of my 40s. And I, I really looked at my own life and I felt like I was at a crossroads. I could keep drinking again, just kind of looking like everybody else. Nothing bad's happening. I wasn't asking the question, is it good enough? Like I should have been. I was asking the question, is it bad enough? No, not yet. Okay, well, keep drinking then. And I started flipping that around going, no, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. Is it good enough? I really kind of want to rock my 50s. I really want to kind of get there different than I did how I entered 40s. When I turned 40, I had a lot of transition in my life and I felt a little bit kind of lost in the shuffle and just kind of hit the ground running. I didn't realize how challenging (laughs) when I was turning 40, how challenging the next five years would be. I didn't know. I think I would have geared up in a different way, but I just, I was kind of living, living day to day and not with a lot of purpose or intention at that point, other than just, you know, let's get these teenagers through, through life. So at 46, I really set out on this wellness journey, this mindset of, I just want to show up differently altogether. I want to sit up a little straighter. I want to get back to kind of who I felt like I was in my 20s. Who is that girl? Like, wow, I've, you know, raised this person to be 18. She's going to kind of move on. I can move on to, to a next phase. And so that's when I really began this this journey into becoming the best version of myself. And for me, Jill, it was a no-brainer. What was the first thing that I could really look at differently? And that was my relationship with alcohol. It was by far the lead domino for me that just set off this whole course of events that has led me four years later, turning 50 this summer, and now having this tribe of sober sis, which I wouldn't have ever imagined in my wildest wildest dreams that God would be so gracious to give me such a a source of significance and purpose and humbly be able to serve other women that are really right where I was and and to bring all of it in with this holistic viewpoint of mind, body, and spirit and keep it real. 
And so what was that like? I mean, giving up that bottom, did you wean down? Did you just stop drinking? I mean, what did you do? Oh, it was, it was huge. So it was April of 2017. And I just set a small goal for myself. My husband and I went out the night before I kind of was going to start this new, this new journey. We had two margaritas together, like we always did on the rocks at our favorite Mexican food restaurant. And I looked at my husband, Craig, who is still a drinker and who was kind of my drinking buddy. And I just said, Hey babe, I'm going to be taking, I'm going to be taking a break instead of trying to quit. I'm going to try to learn. And at that point, I'd really started to find some great resources, which is really what I've put together now that I share through Sobersys of what I found really curating the best of what I had found that first year, all the books, all the podcasts. I just became a student of, quite honestly, alcohol. <laughs> I was like, well, if I'm not going to drink it, I'm going to stare it down. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to look at it real close. Mm. Come on, bring it in closer. I'm not scared of you. You don't have power over me. If I can get you a little bit closer, I can understand you. And then I can make more empowered choices instead of trying to deny you, run from you, control you, but not understand you. Again, this is me talking to alcohol as if it's a person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you almost have to because yeah. it really was that kind of relationship for me. It was like a companion, a, a bad friend, though, one that would kind of make me all these promises and then rip me off at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And so that first year was just, ah, I've documented a lot of it in my journals because I'm a big journaler. It was hard. It was challenging in this alcohol-centric world that we live in. And because the habit was so strong in my life and such such my norm, uh, it was very disruptive, exhilarating. It took some bravery and took some vulnerability. A lot, I imagine. It took a lot of faith. My relationship with God grew deeper because all along as, as a Christian mom, I've been kind of knowing that God loved me the same. He loved me unconditionally, but it was something that I kind of knew was also kind of breaking the connection that I had with him because it was breaking all of my relationship connections, including my relationship with my creator. And so even beginning to get closer to the Lord and saying, you know what? I'd really, rather than asking you to take it away, yikes, what would that look like? Like, really, let's think about it. What would it look like for the Lord to take it away? Probably not a great scenario. Probably one of those bottom, rock bottom moments or situations that you don't want to have. So instead, also during that time, my faith was growing in a different way where I was learning to partner with God by kind of releasing my grip on the glass in my hand saying, well, okay, I'm going to trust you to meet that need that I have for comfort or celebrating or connecting with my husband or when I'm feeling anxious, I'm going to literally, not not just with concept or figuratively, I'm going to literally try to lean on you during those times. And that was a process as well. still is. I mean, that's still, uh, that's an ongoing process for me every day. Mm. So what was the response from your friends? Even if it was love, there had to have been some rub there with all your drinking friends. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, drinkers hang out with drinkers most of the time. You know, it's kind of birds of a feather, you know, stick together. And so most of my friends are and were and are drinkers. Because again, like you said, in your own life, that's just such the social norm. So rather than trying to change other people or getting around other people and 
judging them for drinking. I sure didn't want that because I also didn't want it reciprocated towards me of being judged for not drinking. That's right. So I just kind of tried to just kind of stay in my own lane and really work on being a a curious person when I'm with other people so that I can really connect with them instead of going inward, trying to go more outward and just going, you know what, we're all going to meet for dinner and probably everyone's going to have a drink, but me most of the time. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And how can I still connect? And, and what are some of the tips and tricks, I guess you could say for being a non-drinker in a drinking world? You know, is it showing up early and kind of leaving early? Is it pre-deciding, pre-planning? Yes. And we can talk more about that because there are some, there are some things that I do that really make being social and being around my friends really fun and life-giving that have nothing to do with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to dig into that in the next episode. I, I want to know, maybe just give me one. Three would be great too. Things that you realized once you stopped drinking that you had been missing out on and you were like, oh my gosh, either a level of experience or an actual thing that you didn't even, you were kind of numb to and oblivious to. Can you think of a couple? Yeah, well, sure. And definitely on on a physical level, I started to accept that that's just how a middle-aged woman felt. Foggy brain, sluggish, sleep like crap and just wake up and just muscle through again. I had settled for that as, the, I thought that's really how it how it felt to be 45. And so that was a huge shift for me, which definitely took weeks to feel the benefits, physically speaking. But boy, once I did, it was really motivating. <laughs> I was like, wow. So that's what a good night's sleep feels like. Oh, and emotionally, that's what it feels like to really lay my head on the pillow, sober-minded, and know that I did my best. And that my best is good enough. And being present in my own life is the most exhilarating, biggest adventure because I don't know what's going to happen day to day, but I'm not going to miss any of it. I'm not going to have to piece it together the next day with, you know, clues and tips from my kids about those conversations again that we're going to have to have. I don't have to watch a movie again twice to catch the ending. Mm -hmm. And what about the next, the first time you were in the kitchen? washing the pots and pans after dinner, completely sober. Well, maybe not the first time. After it had become your new norm, was there a new, I just can imagine, I I can see a book right now. You know, I can totally see a book and you're you're the main character and you're washing the dishes and a couple of things happens. One is you stop and you pause and you just get choked up and you're like, thank you, God. This is the most amazing freaking life. I can't believe I was escaping this life. And number two, I get to play big. Me in the kitchen right now, washing the dishes by myself doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean I'm small. It doesn't mean I don't matter. That was a big freaking lie that was put in there not by you. That's not my identity. Yeah, that's not who I am. And I don't want to write it for you, but I could see that movie right now of you just enjoying that. And just joy and gratitude. I mean, when you have been a prisoner and you had been held captive to something, enslaved by anything, which was really my big thing. I just felt enslaved. I felt in bondage to this elixir that I was depending on. When you have been, like I have, set free, when you have been a captive and those prison doors, which you were holding the key to all along, (laughs) open up and you are free to move about the cabin. Girl, you can run, run, 
free without that heavy backpack and that heavy weight on your shoulders, uh, that burden and that shame and regret and just defeat. When you get that shaken off of you, it it is, that's a high right mm-hmm. there. That's the dopamine hit I'm looking for. Yes. And I really do feel it. Sometimes I am at my kitchen sink and I just marvel. I'm just like, oh my gosh, wow. Wow, I am free. Yeah, this is what living's like. I have authentic freedom, AF. Alcohol free living AF stands for a lot of things out there. For me, it stands for authentic freedom. That's what I want. That's what I wanted was freedom. Freedom from anything controlling me. I wasn't trying to become a sober person, not drink alcohol. I was trying to get free in my heart of hearts, in my mind, in my soul. And on some level, I, I think too, and what you're saying is, you were trying to do with that journey what we talk about every week here, which is you were trying to find the real you that God sees, love and celebrate her, not not with the rules and expectations of everyone else, but just the real you, whole as you are, and just live life as her. And I, I see it, and I am so grateful for you. And so in the next episode, please tune into it because I'm going to ask some questions that I want all of you to hear the answers to. And we're going to ask some tough questions for you to ask yourself to know whether or not you have an unhealthy relationship or a relationship with alcohol that deserves a look. It doesn't mean you're an alcoholic. These are, this is, it absolutely could, could mean something different, but we're going to do that. And we're going to talk about exactly what Jen does with her clients. But Jen, for this episode, will you let everybody know how to find you. I love your website, by the way. I love the website. I love you. you even have some merchandise. I see you wearing your, your jewelry. Oh, that's right. So your website, your Instagram account, how can they find you? For sure. Well, Instagram is definitely where I'm very active. I love to show alcohol-free drink options and just all the mocktails and zero-proof cocktails that are out there. So definitely follow me on Instagram at SoberSys. And I also have a free guide that I really love to offer any sister out there, any woman out there, um, whether you're just kind of curious about what I'm saying, you just want to take a break for one night. What if you just wanted to go to an event and you're like, how would I even not drink that night? Download my free guide, which is kind of my best five tips and tricks for even just how to hit the pause button for a weekend or a trip. And um, that's at SoberSys.com. And then from there, you can get on my email list. And I'd love to tell you about a 21-day reset challenge that I lead at the beginning of every month. And that is where we really start to dig into some of those tools and get into the conversation and into the community. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right, everybody, we will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much, Jen. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me on BU. I know there was something in this episode you were meant to hear. So let me know in a DM on Instagram at Jill Herman BU. Be sure to subscribe to the BU podcast. And if you have iTunes, I would so appreciate you rating the podcast and leaving a comment with your biggest aha or takeaway. Sharing a screenshot of this episode on your story is the best way for us to reach women just like you. And if you send a link to a friend, let her know what unique quality she has that the world needs more of. If this is your first visit, welcome to our BU Collective, where we get honest about what it takes to find our true self so we can set her free and start living.